Big Bertha. It's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. Now, the legend just got even easier to hit. The new Big Bertha irons from Callaway are powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction, to deliver easy launch, long, consistent distance with incredible sound and feel. This is by far Callaway's easiest to launch distance iron ever. Get big time distance now. Experience Big Bertha irons today at your local golf shop or at callawaygolf.ca. Canada arrests a high-profile Chinese national on a U.S. extradition warrant. China retaliates by arresting Canadians on charges of espionage. This may sound a lot like the arrests of Canadians Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor late last year after Canada arrested an exec with Huawei, but this is the harrowing story of a Canadian couple who had lived in China for 30 years before they were thrown in jail. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We look at the ordeal of Kevin and Julia Garrett, how they endured prison time in China, and what advice they have for loved ones of the Canadians currently in Chinese custody. Don't forget, we're on all your favorite listening apps, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review and be sure to tell your friends about us. Lori Culbert is a reporter with the investigations team at the Vancouver Sun. So, Lori, in the wake of Canada's arrest of Meng Wanzhou, an executive with Chinese telecom giant Huawei, Chinese authorities appeared to strike back with some retaliatory of arrests of their own and some harsh sentences against Canadians. How many people from Canada are currently behind bars in China? Well, what we know for sure is that businessman Michael Spaver and ex-diplomat Michael Kovrig were both arrested mysteriously on December the 10th. And that was really just days after Meng Wanzhou was hurt. She was arrested in Vancouver. It appears by all accounts to have been retaliatory arrests, and they have not been charged with anything at this point. We also know that since the Huawei executives' arrest that there are now two Canadians on death row in China for uh, drug charges, uh, which uh, Christia Freeland and, and other officials in Ottawa are adamantly arguing is uh, inhumane and, and unnecessary. And on top of that, of course, there's all the diplomatic issues around trade with China that seems to be clamping down since her arrest. This isn't the first time Canadians have found themselves behind bars in a Chinese prison as a result of retaliation on the part of the Chinese government for Canada arresting a Chinese national here. What can you tell me about the Garretts? So shockingly, in August of 2014, only five years ago, a couple by the name of Julia and Kevin Garrett uh, were working in China in, uh, in an area called Dangdong. Well, in August of 2014, we were working on the border with China and North Korea in a city called Dandong. We were running a coffee shop. We were doing aid work in the North Korea. We were helping an orphanage. We were doing things like that. Then we were uh, invited to a dinner to help someone who wanted to go to Canada to study. We went to that dinner. Afterwards, we were leaving the dinner, and um, we came into the lobby of this, the restaurant on our way out, and uh, there was a bunch of people there, probably a couple dozen people there, and essentially we were abducted. We were taken and we had no idea any of this was happening. And then for the next uh, 775 days, 
We were detained by the Chinese. What we now know, and they certainly did not know at the time, was that their arrest was a direct retaliation because, again, in British Columbia, a Chinese businessman by the name of Su Bin had been arrested in July of 2014. And lo and behold, a month later in August, the Garretts found themselves in big trouble in China. What did we arrest the Chinese individual for in that case? So Su Bin was、um, again arrested at the request of the United States, just like the Huawei executive. He was arrested at the request of the United States, but this time for allegedly hacking databases of U.S. defense contractors to steal military secrets. The difference is that Su Bin was、uh, extradited to the U.S. and convicted. And what the Garretts now understand is that. If the Garretts were taken by China as a potential exchange for the release of Su Bin, once he was extradited and convicted in the U.S., there was no trade that could happen for the Garretts, and they were left languishing in a Chinese prison. Wow! How long had they been living in China before they were arrested? They've been living there for thirty years.、Uh, they moved there as young newlyweds. They had graduated from the University of Toronto, and they thought they'd go for a year to teach English. And they fell in love with the country. These are two people who are passionate about teaching, about doing Christian aid work. They're entrepreneurs, and they just felt that China was changing on a daily basis. And they they loved the people, and they loved the opportunities to be involved in that country. So they had been living there, no problems, nothing, no run-ins with the law, no running afoul of the Chinese regime for three decades. How was it they? They came to be arrested. So they were invited out for dinner by a mutual friend who said that she was friends with a couple whose daughter was going to the University of Toronto, and that the family had some questions about the university and would Julia and Kevin meet with them and have dinner with them to answer questions about the university. They showed up for the dinner.、Uh, they found it odd that the daughter, who was supposed to be attending the university, didn't end up coming. To the dinner, but they stayed and they answered the couple's questions and left the restaurant. Descended the elevator in the building to the lobby, walked out of the elevator and found the lobby was just bustling with people with cameras. And Julia whispered to Kevin, "Oh, we should just." Kind of go over to the side door and get out of the way. This must be a wedding or an event. But in fact, it was their abduction, and、um, all of the cameras were there to record it. When they were taken into custody, what was their reaction? That must have been a shock for them. Well, it was. Terrifying. They were taken in two different directions, placed in two different cars. They had no idea where they were going or who was taking them. The people who had abducted them did not have uniforms on. They'd later find out that they were officials with the Chinese Ministry of State Security, and this is the ministry in in China that、uh, oversees counterintelligence and political security. They take the Garretts to separate interrogation rooms. Rooms、um, where they are questioned for hours、uh, and hours.、Uh, the first six months was in a remote compound, so I think there is a lot of things that run through your mind because you really have no idea day to day what's going to happen. You have six hours a day of interrogation, up to six hours, but beginning seven days a week, and you're held in one room, lights on twenty four seven, and really what you're trying to do is. 
piece together even why you're there, what's going on from sights and sounds and little phrases that you hear, wisps of conversation. But really you... And what's going through their heads as they're being questioned by authorities there? Well, they both speak fluent Mandarin at this point. And, um, you know, Julia said that she, her brain was ping-ponging back and forth between panic and praying for survival. She had no idea what was happening, and she kept asking why they were detained, but she hadn't learned the word espionage in her Mandarin language classes, and she didn't understand that they were telling her that they were being investigated for being spies. Wow. So eventually, uh, the people interrogating Julia just asked her to stand up and said, we're taking you to another place. And she was terrified and she was screaming in the hallway. She was screaming, we just came here to help. And Kevin is, you know, a couple of doors down uh, in a different interrogation room. He can hear his wife's panic screams. And at this point, he'd been refusing to sign a document that the authorities were asking him to sign that basically gave them permission to investigate him. And he thought, you know, I I need to do whatever I can to help my wife. So he signed the document. And that was the last time he would hear his wife's voice for a very, very long time. Wow. That's awfully frightening. And, you know, we've since learned that they were targeted for arrest, essentially as retaliation for Canadians arresting a Chinese national. But how is it that Chinese authorities came to choose them as the target for this arrest? It's really a mysterious question that they don't have a clear answer for. Um, they ran a very popular coffee shop in Dangdong. Dangdong happens to be on the border with North Korea. Kevin and Julia were interested in doing aid work in North Korea. A lot of businessmen uh, would come into their popular coffee shop in this border town because they would run very popular English-speaking evenings where people could come and practice their English. They're not entirely sure why they were targeted at all, with the possible exception of officials maybe misunderstanding why various people with power were coming in and out of their coffee shop all the time. And ultimately, they were charged with espionage, or was it another crime that they were were charged with? Ultimately, they were charged with espionage. After those interrogation rooms, they were driven to a prison where, again, they didn't know where the other one was. It turns out they were both in the same prison, but they had no idea for months and months and months. And they were kept, in Julia's case, she was kept in uh, one small room with the windows covered, with no sunlight coming in, with the lights on 24-7 and a minimum of two guards watching her every second of the day. What about Kevin? You know, like the Chinese regime is is very closed off. And when it comes to conditions of its prisons and how prisoners are treated, it's not like in Canadian prisons where you, you know, you have a good sense of, of how the system runs. So how did Kevin describe his conditions? He said he was in a tiny room with about 12 other people where the beds were so close together, they were just they were touching each other. There was absolutely no privacy. The lights were also on in his room 24-7. For me in prison, there, there's absolutely no privacy. With 14 people in the same cell and cameras and guards passing back and forth all the time, absolutely no privacy. Uh, you spend your day, you do laundry when you can, but there's, there's no washing machine. It's all by hand. 
Um, you kind of look forward to the next meal if that meal comes because there's not food every day because you have to and you have to purchase everything in prison so you have to have money so money has to come from the outside put on your card your account and um, probably about and I figured this out because I had lots of time to figure his out. family was of course very supportive but sometimes the account would run out and he would go without eating and that what he would do every day is get up and walk about six feet from his jail cell to his interrogation room where he would be interrogated for up to 12 hours a day and then walk the six feet back to his jail cell and do it all over again the next day and how long did that go on for how long were ultimately uh, Kevin and Julia in prison for? So Julia was imprisoned for six months, and then she was uh, given house arrest. She was told that she would have to remain in that town um, until her trial was starting, that she could not see her husband or even know where he was. And of course, her ability to make an income had evaporated at this point. And so she lost the apartment that they were staying in. She had to stay with other people and she was terrified. For Kevin, um, he was there for 775 days, almost two years. In April of 2014, he had a trial in which he was convicted of espionage. And then because he could speak Mandarin, he heard the judge give a sentence of eight years. And you can imagine how that made him feel. Yeah. Canadian embassy officials said to him, there is hope of deportation. And that's the hope he had to cling to. How did they manage to endure that time in prison? Even the six-month sentence that Julia had, I can imagine a lot of Canadians wouldn't even want to spend six months in a Canadian jail. How did they manage to, to mark out that time in the Chinese prison they were in? So I should say that these... Two people are have an incredible spirit. You know, when you meet them today, they don't ha they don't exude any sense of bitterness. And I think it was that type of spirit that got them through this. In particular, they have a very deep faith. And when the Chinese officials ransacked their apartment at the very beginning when all of this happened, they told Kevin that he could gather a few pieces of clothing for each of them, and he demanded that he also take for each of them their Bibles. And that became a lifeline for them. They read the Bible every day. They turned their Bibles into a sort of diary and calendar where they counted the days and notated the things that happened. Julia in particular, when you look at her diary and she talks about this, it's really remarkable. She decided that in order to avoid slipping into darkness and despair, that she would try every day to find one thing to be thankful for. So you can see for the full six months, she would just find one tiny, tiny thing that someone there, one of her guards, somebody did that she thought was kind and she didn't mark it. And there, of course, were days that she did slip into huge despair and she said she couldn't get herself out of bed. And so on those days, she said she was thankful for sleep because that was the only way she could get through the day. Now, they were in China for 30 years before they were arrested. Obviously, uh, you mentioned family earlier. They, they must have had kids while they were there. How did their family deal with their ordeal? 
They did. They had three children, and then they adopted a fourth because part of their aid work, their incredible aid work in China, was、um, helping to expand orphanages, and they got very involved in that system, and so adopted a, a Chinese girl. When they were abducted,、uh, three of their grown children were all either working or studying in Canada, and a fourth child, who was also grown adult, was doing a post. Graduate studies at a university in another city in China, but of course, you know they were all frantic, and there's so little information that can be provided to families. And the Canadian embassy workers were able to visit the Garrets semi-regularly, and it was really only through the Canadian embassy workers that the families would get any information at all. It was also the only way that Julie and Kevin could get information about. Each other, even though they were being held in the same prison, they would only find out how the other was doing when the Canadian embassy workers would come to visit them. You know, you mentioned earlier about how they had, they felt that over the time that they were in China, China was changing, becoming more open. They developed a, a fondness for their adopted country. How did this arrest and, and imprisonment impact how they felt about China on the whole? They. Are able to separate how they feel about the Chinese people and how they feel about the Chinese political system that led to their imprisonment. They talk about loving the Chinese people, and in fact, Julia said she started to develop a lot of compassion and empathy for the female guards that were with her every day. She got to know them. She felt sorry for them. She realized that. They had a job to do, and they were told to do this dreadful job. But they are upset that the Chinese political system is continuing to pursue this concept of、um, abductions in retaliation for things they see happening in in other countries. Now, in speaking to their own experience, did either of them have any advice for the two Michaels who are being held in Chinese custody currently? I think they have advice for both the families of the two Michaels and for the two Michaels themselves. I mean, for the families, they're saying it's it's difficult. There's very little information that can come out. But if you continue to send them messages and photographs through Canadian embassy officials, that that's a real lifeline for the people inside. Just To get a note or a photograph, sometimes you're, you're not allowed to keep them, but even to see them when the embassy officials are visiting is a huge lifeline. To the two men themselves, they would say, "Let us be an example, not to give up hope." You know, there were days that we, well, in particular for for Kevin, for example, at one point he said to his abductors, "My next meal is either going to be with my wife Julia or it's going to be with Jesus," and that was the only time she was allowed to visit him in prison when he got. That low and despondent and potentially suicidal. So they would both say to these two Michaels, as much as possible, just maintain your hope because they're living proof that there's potentially a positive ending to this. Well, as Canadians wait for word on on both men who are being held by the Chinese government, it is fascinating to get a look at what that experience was like for other Canadians.、Uh, Lori, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support from Darren McQuana. Special thanks to my guest Lori Culbert. More from her at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.